Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And today, we are wrapping up our series on Ephesians. We could go a couple more weeks, but uh, it's something we can always come back to. Of course, we always will. It's a rich, rich book. I mentioned Bob Yandian's book last week, his study on Ephesians, and the subtitle of it is actually Blueprint for Maturity. And I like that because Ephesians is, as we have said, uh, written with a spiritually mature congregation in mind. The things he's calling them to are expected of mature saints. And you can contrast some of his instructions and encouragement that he writes to the Ephesians with some of the things he wrote uh, to the Corinthians, for example. All right? And that, I say contrast. I don't mean that Ephesians contradicts Corinthians. It doesn't. Uh, there are, of course, many more instances in those letters where they actually agree or build on one another. would basically say the same thing. But anyway, he starts with what we now have in three chapters, because, of course, he didn't write it in chapters. He's writing a letter, Paul is, as God... Uh, inspires him as God directs him. Paul writes this letter, and we have it divided into uh, six chapters. And the first three are uh, reminders of our standing with God, how much he loves us, how much power is available to us, um, how the power and authority of heaven itself is all ours because we are in Christ. It's glorious. I mean, if you need to be charged up, if you need to be encouraged, if you need to be reminded of the power that's available to you and just how much God loves you, read the first three chapters of Ephesians. And uh, then in the remaining three chapters, here's the application. Since God has put you in this position, since he loves you so much, since he has made this power available to you, here and, and, since, and he has demonstrated it, in Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross, here's what you do. And he starts with walking in love, being gentle, being patient. I mean, it's almost, depending on what your mindset is, it's anticlimactic. God, the creator of the universe, has placed you in Christ and given you all power and all authority. He's held nothing back. Therefore, and you, man, you're ready to just to go in swinging and fight the demons of hell. He says, so be nice. Be gentle. Be patient. Be forgiving. And then he lays some special emphasis on the ministry gifts which God has given us to equip us for the work of ministry. He reminds us that we are in this together and that this only works when we are together. Uh, Each member of the body has to be doing what it is called to do, what it's supposed to be doing. Otherwise, we're fractured, we're broken, and we're ineffective. Then he goes into more specifics about what our lives should look like as believers as the body of Christ. And the language, unless you're familiar with it, is kind of uh, startling, kind of surprising. Put off the old man and put on the new man. It's a decision to lay certain things down and pick certain things up. All right? It's the power of God and it's his goodness, his love, his forgiveness, his spirit that will make this possible But it has to be a decision on our part to do these things. We have to be willing to recognize 
And I don't want to beat a dead horse, I don't, but in this society, I don't think this, this horse is in any danger of dying. This idea that God loves you no matter what, that's a true statement. But that doesn't mean God is okay with everything about you. I have seen some uh, things, I was just talking about it with uh, Sherry uh, Gooden this morning, that uh, it, it's something you, we used to say all the time, uh, Love the sinner, hate the sin. And I've seen so much backlash in the last couple of years on that statement. You can't do that. You are separating a person from their personality. Uh, it's impossible. If you really love the sinner, you're not going to call anything they do sin. You know, have you seen this, this mindset? And I'm not phrasing it maybe exactly that way, but that, that is precisely the, the message that they are conveying. Uh, if you're going to judge anything about me to be sinful, then you've got a problem because you're judgmental. And if you're judgmental, you're not loving. That's the flow of logic right there. Okay? But that is precisely what the Bible teaches. To love the sinner and hate the sin. Well, why do you hate this sin? Because it is destructive to you. Because it will cause you not to flourish in the things of God. It will kill you eventually. All right? Uh, God hates sin because it's bad for you, not just because it offends him. He wants to rescue us from things. Uh, but unless we acknowledge that we need rescued, we can't be rescued from things. Anyway, a little bit of a uh, left turn there. He comes back to these things that we are to put away. Why? Because God loves us and these things will pollute us. Put away lewdness Greediness, uncleanness, lying, stealing, laziness, corrupt speech, bitterness, anger, quarreling. And again, be kind to one another. Imitate God. There's a high call right there, huh? Don't let sexual sin even be named among you. Your relationships, your behavior, and even your speech should be different enough from the world around you to be recognized as different. You should stand out. Walk in the light. You don't just be in the light. You walk in the light. Did anybody listen to that song? I know Bill did download it or, or listen it, as I know he'd heard it before. I, I mentioned the Keith Green song, uh, Asleep in the Light. Anybody listen to it for the first time this week? Powerful song. Check it out. Because when we walk in the light, we are carrying the light with us. We expose the deeds of darkness. Avoid drunkenness, be filled with the Spirit, and speak spiritually to one another. These are all, this is all review. Then he spends the rest of chapter 5 and the first part of chapter 6 laying out God's order for submission and authority. So he tells us this is, these are the types of behaviors, these are the types of uh, thinking you need to lay down, and now here's part of how this is going to work out. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't provoke your children. Servants or employees, obey your masters or bosses. Masters or bosses. Remember, you have a boss and your servant, if he is a brother, is of equal standing before God. And you're going to answer to how you uh, serve God as a master to your employees. Now, we pick it up in chapter 6, verse 10. 
Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, let me start with this. When he starts talking here at the beginning of that passage I just read about principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places, what we are receiving from the Lord here is a very important reminder that demonic forces are real, that devils are real just as angels are real. The different words here, the principalities, powers, and, 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 and so forth, uh, are likely references to an order or a ranking of different types of devils. Just as we read about archangels or princes of angels, uh, in, in, in the realm of the spirit, there are different levels. Let me give you an example, a concrete example from the Bible. Uh, In Daniel chapter 10, we have him praying, and uh, in response to his prayer, beginning in verse 12, uh, actually, let's start in verse uh, 10, suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. And he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, by your, word, your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now, what's he, this is an angel that is coming to, to uh, he's appearing to Daniel in response to Daniel's prayer, and he's explaining his delay. I got into this fight with the prince of Persia who was withstanding me, and Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And after he leaves, he says, I have to go back and fight with the prince of Persia some more. And Michael's standing with me. So there's a different ranking of angels there. Now, I do not understand. I'm thinking, well, if, if the angels, if these are angels of God, and there's a demon, a power over a region in this case, Persia, that is strong enough to withstand this angel, why doesn't God just snap his fingers and make this demon go away? We know God's more, more powerful than all the demons, right? And it has to do with 
the different dispensations and ages. This is before Christ. Christ, when he died and rose again, he got the keys of the kingdom. Jesus himself, Paul, Peter, refer to Satan as the God of this world. Because mankind, who had been given the authority over this world back in the garden, submitted to the, to the devil when he sinned. He basically passed that authority over to the devil. And the devil reigned as the king of this world or the prince of this world until Jesus. When he got the keys of the kingdom, got that authority back, and what did he do? Gave it to us. So he's still walking around with a degree of authority over those who have not yet submitted their lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But back then, this was still his world. And so I believe those demonic powers had more authority than they do today. Daniel could pray to God and these angels, again, what form did this battle take? I don't know. Let me recommend another book to you, though. Uh, I don't know how many of you are into Christian fiction, and this is an older book, but if you have never read uh, This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti, how many, how many people remember reading that? Don't read it as a textbook. Don't read it as doctrine, but read it because it will stir your imagination and help you picture how some of these spiritual battles go. And it will light a fire in you uh, to be aware of the fact that there really are spiritual forces, invisible forces that surround us, okay? That's This Present Darkness by Peretti. Anyway, I, again, I don't know what form these, these battles actually take in the spiritual realm, but Paul is reminding us that there really are demonic and angelic forces, and the things that we think we're fighting at this level are often distracting us from where the real battle needs to be taking place. That our, the, things that, the battle that God is calling us to is a spiritual battle. And we need to be aware that what we are really fighting against are the forces of darkness. Now, that doesn't mean that every bad thing that happens is a demonic attack. All right? Not every problem in your life can be solved by you screaming at a devil. All right? I have seen some excesses in this area, and I have read about some excesses in this area. I mean, you know, some of it I have to take with a grain of salt. Some of it I absolutely believe because of who's telling me. And some of it I have seen. But I can, I can remember the hearing about, you know, every time somebody would sneeze in church. I rebuke you, demon of sneezing. There's a demon behind everything. I've heard testimonies in this church. Some of you have too. That gave way more glory to the devil uh, than, uh, than to Jesus Christ. Demonic testimonies are exciting. There was a, I, I may have told this story before. I know I've told this story before. Not sure I've told it from the pulpit, but it's worth telling again. I sat next to a kid at Ramah, and uh, he was a young guy uh, right out of high school. And he was a nice kid, but he... Uh, he would write, he would show me these poems he had written, actually songs. He'd say, I'm writing a song. I'm God. I said, oh, yeah, are you a musician? He goes, yeah, I'm just working on some songs. I'm going to try to get a band and record these songs. Uh, it's kind of a Christian metal kind of thing. I go, really? He says, yeah, read this. So I'm reading this, this song, and it's all 
death, hell, Satan, blood, kill, smash, devil, demon. For several stanzas, and I'm like, is this a Christian song? And he'd say, well, I haven't finished it yet. I haven't, I haven't got to the part yet where Jesus comes and he kills all the demons and everything. I said, oh, okay. And he kept showing me these songs, and they were all the same thing, but he'd never quite finished them, never gotten to the Jesus part yet. And then, <laughs> this is the best part. We, we were sitting there in class. We had a test, and so the whole class, like 900 of us in the room taking a test in one of Brother Hagin's classes. And multiple choice tests, and so you fill in your form, and then you had to turn your test over and wait until everybody was done. So you sat there for the whole class period, whether it took you that long or not. So I finished my test, and I turned it over, because I'm super smart. It didn't take me very long. Uh, But I'm waiting for other people to finish, and this kid next to me is over here like this. And I'm doing my best to ignore him. But I can tell he wants me to not ignore him. And he keeps doing this. He just keeps... Scribble, scribble. And I'm I'm not going to say a word. And I don't. He flips over his paper. And I can just feel him looking at me. He finally goes, hey. Yeah. During that test, I cast 17 demons out of myself. (laughs) Hey. No, you didn't. Anyway, <laughs> never forget this. You know, there, there, there's a bad tendency among people who believe in the devil. Now, number one, there's a bad tendency among so, certain uh, segments of Christianity that simply don't believe in the devil. Well, that's just an archaic way of talking about the evils of the world. No, it's not. There really is a devil, okay? There really are demons, and they really do hate you. They're out to fulfill their dark master's uh, plan of uh, killing you, destroying you, right? Stealing from you. To interfere with Jesus' plan to give, to give you life and life more abundantly. Okay? But there's this unfortunate tendency uh, among some people to every time they fail, every time they sin, what do they say? It's, a, it's the Flip Wilson theology, right? The devil made me do it. Or we put a lot of emphasis on generational curses. All right, my daddy's devil made me do it. When the fact is, what are we born with? Born with a sin nature. And even when we are born again, even when we receive a new spirit, the Bible teaches this, that there are remnants of that nature that still reside where? Not in our hearts, not in our spirits, but in our flesh. That's why we we still have a proclivity or desire or it's why we are still tempted. Okay? And sometimes it doesn't take a demon at all. It just takes you looking at the wrong thing, being in the wrong place, hearing the wrong thing to trigger a certain desire. And it ain't the devil. I love what Billy Duguid said one year when he was here. He says, quit blaming the devil for everything bad that's happened to you. The devil ain't bothering you. He doesn't even know who you are. He's over in China messing with folks. That's what I'm thinking (laughs) It's a weird way of saying something that I do believe, which is we have to understand that the devil does not have unlimited resources. I have no idea how many angels there are. I have no idea how many devils there are. But I don't think there are enough to assign a devil to every individual believer in the world. 
especially when we know that there are some. There was a guy in Jesus' day who had multiple demons in him. They're looking for those few people who will allow them unfettered, complete access to their lives. They want to inhabit you. They want to steal everything for you. They'd love to possess you. But their main mission is to keep you from submitting and yielding completely to God and walking, into your God, walking in your God-given authority. Anyway, however many there are, they don't have unlimited power. Satan's resources are limited. He's not holding something back. It's not like he's got some secret weapon that he's holding in reserve. How do I know this? Because Paul tells us we are not, in, we are not ignorant of his devices. It's just that his devices are limited. His schemes have been revealed. But we have to walk wisely. We walk circumspectly, we walk boldly, and we walk in this authority. But let's don't give the devil credit for every stupid thing that we do. Not every sickness is a disease. Certainly not, or not, every, not every sickness is a disease. Not every sickness is a demon. Not every disease is a demon. Not every sin is a demonically inspired sin. Our lusts and, and, and temptation just in our flesh is enough uh, to drive most of us to do stupid things every now and then. But it doesn't mean there's not a devil. And ultimately, the power, and there are some people who are just bad people. But ultimately, just as not every disease is specifically a demon on you, it is sin that is at the root of all disease because sickness entered the world when sin entered the world. And how did sin enter the world? devil introduced it and tempted man with it. So there really is a demonic root or a satanic root to all evil in the world. Now, ultimately, again, our battle is with the forces of darkness and we have to remember that we fight this battle in God's power. It's not ours. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That word power is authority and that word might means delegated authority it's the might that he has given us and then look at this in verse uh, 13 therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand I think this is better rendered if you put a comma at the end of verse 13 and having done all to stand stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. And we'll go over the armor here in just a second. And there's two important things I want to point out about this passage, this one and a half verses here. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. It's like this, look, you've had all this training, you've got all this equipment, all this armor, you've prepared, and then when the battle comes, what do you do? You run away? You panic? No, this is what the training is for. This is what the armor is for. This is what the weapons are for. And there's so many times, we've talked about this before as well, where we get all this word and we get all this preparation, we get all uh, excited about authority and we get excited about victory and then when it's time to actually face the enemy, we go, oh no, where's God? God has been preparing you and training you and empowering you and equipping you to stand against this attack. You are going to experience battles in this world. That is not a failure of faith. That's what the faith is for. It's what the weapons of our warfare are for. It's silly to go through all this training and get all this equipment. I'm looking at it from a military standpoint. 
we have all these great soldiers, well-trained, and all these weapons, and all this, uh, all this great equipment. And oh no, there's another nation that's attacking us. How on earth could this happen? Well, that's what the weapons are for. It's what the armies are for, to fight these battles. Now, the other thing is, when he says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, he's not just talking about the armor. He's talking about everything he's written so far. That's why he started where he started. We've got all this power. It starts with the, the, where you are, your position in Christ, God's care for you, his interest in you, and then says, behave this way. Walk in love, mutual submission, be gentle, tender, uh, t- tender-hearted, kind, forgiving. And then there's this order of submission. Wives submit to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. Children obey your parents. Parents don't exasperate your children. Servants obey your masters. Masters don't abuse your servants. Okay? All of this, if we ignore the kindness, tenderheartedness, the submission and authority, and we want to skip straight to the armor of God, and this is, what, this is what's kind of surprising about this. The first three chapters would have been a great intro to the last half of chapter 6. God loves you. He's seated you in heavenly places uh, above all principality and powers. Everything is under Christ's feet and you are in Christ. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Wouldn't that make sense? But it kind of takes you way back. So start here. If we skip over all the submission and authority and, 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 and the behavior issues and then try to fight these spiritual battles... It's not going to work. And this, I am utterly convinced, is why we see so many wrecked lives in the Christian community. It's people trying, they're talking a big talk. I've got the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and so on. Why isn't this working? Because you're not walking in love? Because you're not submitted to one another? Because you haven't dealt with the sin in your life? Etc. Now, here's the armor. Talk about the belt of truth. Chris, help me out here because I don't know what they wear these days. But back in my day, we had something called either the LBE or the LCE. It was a, the, or or the, people just call it your web belt. But it wasn't just a belt, it was a harness. Okay? And on this harness, you hung your grenades, your ammunition, maybe your knife, flashlight, all of this equipment. And in, what, what do they have? They have like vests now, don't they? All, it all goes on the body armor? Okay. So this is a terrible illustration from the modern day army. But back in Paul's day, in the Romans' day, you know, the, the belt was where you hung your weapons from. All right? So everything, all this important stuff that you carry hangs on a belt. And the belt is truth. All these other doctrines and all these other weapons and all the things that we attach importance to in Christianity, if Christianity is not true, if Christ is not raised then none of this other stuff matters no matter how much sense it makes. Everything hangs on the belt of the truth of the gospel. The breastplate of righteousness. Protecting your very heart is the reality that you are righteous in God's eyes. 
I have included this truth in more sermons than I can count. It's that important. So much of what God promises, all these great promises that are contingent upon righteousness. And that can get you out of faith faster than anything else. Because you read that word, oh, this is for the righteous, and then the devil comes and whispers in your ear, you know you ain't righteous. You and I both know what you did with your eyes last night. We both know what you spoke to your neighbor last night. Oh, you're right, I'm not righteous. But he's already gone out of his way to tell us what? That we are righteous. Why? Because we are in Christ. It is Christ's righteousness that is our breastplate that protects us. That's the righteousness. Our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Right in the margins of your Bible, write, these boots are made for walking. Our feet are shod. The shoes we wear are the preparation of the gospel of peace. And we are meant to go somewhere. How lovely on the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news. This is symbolic of our Christian walk. And what is that walk about? Is it about our healing? Is it about our prosperity? Is it even about going to heaven? Is it about our happiness? It is about fulfilling the great commission. What did Jesus say? Go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Live the gospel, preach the gospel. That's your shoes. The shield of faith. The fiery darts. Quench the fiery darts of the enemy. Some translations uh, render it more accurately. The flaming missiles of the enemy. And this is... uh, uh, They would actually have a catapult with these... uh, these balls that they would light on fire and launch from a a safe distance into the city and try to burn the city down. A pretty scary weapon. And uh, whatever it is that the devil throws on you, the the shield of faith will protect you. We would like to see the shield of faith. You know, if if these fiery missiles are going to be extinguished, we'd rather shoot them down from a distance, wouldn't we? Uh, But what it says is we will extinguish those things. So even when a missile strikes us, that fire will be extinguished. All right, it'll be quenched. We can defeat everything the devil throws at us. They will not do the damage that the devil intends. The weapons that he forms against us, I would say, will not prosper. Faith doesn't keep the devil from forming a weapon against us. It just keeps those weapons from accomplishing Satan's desire in our lives. Helmet of salvation. The helmet protects your head, your mind. The renewing of the mind is what I'm thinking about here. Remember what we already read in this letter about walking in newness of life. We need to think differently if we're going to act differently, behave differently, live differently. I don't do this. I don't say this. And we, we need to be bold about this. It's, it's, it's wonderful when God so thoroughly changes you, even in one area where you can say, I don't even desire this anymore. I feel like a new person. But there is nothing wrong with saying, look, I don't do this anymore. I don't say this anymore. I don't act like this anymore. Why? Because I've made a decision to follow Christ. I am a Christian. Why aren't you doing this on Sundays anymore? Because I go to church. Why? Because I'm a Christian. Okay, we don't need to pretend that the desires don't exist if they still exist. And it's not, remember what the, the, the quote from that article about walking in integrity. It's not inauthentic to, st- to say, I've made a decision to do this. You mean you don't even want to anymore? I didn't say that. 
said, I'm not going to do it anymore because I've decided to honor Christ. I've decided to follow his word. And his word clearly says, don't do this. Or it clearly says, do this instead. So I'm going to walk like this person. And the wonderful truth is, just like you built up and, and cultivated an appetite for things that the Bible describes as evil, you can cultivate and produce an appetite for things the Bible describe, uh, describes as good and, and pleasing to God. And the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. The word for word here is rhema, the rhema of God. This despite things we maybe have said in Sunday school, things I may have said from the pulpit, this is not the sword of the Spirit. Hear me? Blasphemy. No, it's not. This, going in here and coming out here, is the sword of the Spirit. Super important difference between the rhema and the logos. We get the written word in us, and when it comes out of us, when we use it, when we apply it, when we direct it, then it becomes the sword of the Spirit, our offensive weapon. Uh, Yandian has a great little passage in his book where he describes there, there are several different Greek words for sword. And it describes some of these, these swords would actually be carried by two men into battle. And then when a guy went to use it, he'd start swinging around, get this thing up to speed. And in one swing, he could kill five people. But then guess what? Then he has to set it down and start all over again. Then he's vulnerable. Some were only meant for stabbing. You had to have one good move. Some only had one sharp edge. And the word that he, that, that's used here is the, is the word that the, for the sword that the Romans carried, which was often made fun of by some armies because it wasn't super long, it wasn't super heavy, but it had two sharp edges, it had a sharp point, and they were trained to use it skillfully. And they would wade into these armies that had bigger weapons, scarier looking weapons, scarier sounding weapons, and they would decimate them because they were handling this sword skillfully. It was very effective in the hands of a trained warrior. This is the word that's used for the sword of the spirit. It's not the bigness of it. It is how skillfully we use it that's going to make, make it effective in our lives. But what does that mean? It means we have to train ourselves with it. We have to get that word down in us and learn how to properly apply it. You know, Jesus gives us the best example of this in his temptation episode. You know, the devil would, the, the Satan uh, came and tempted him in the wilderness. And when he did, Jesus didn't say, hang on, Satan, let me look something up. I'm, I'm tempted, but I have a good response. But I know there's something in the Bible, so give me a minute. Or let me go check with the rabbi in town. No, he just quoted that word. And he had an edge. He was the author, right? Verses uh, 18 to 20. Let's read this on. I read on uh, one more time here. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may, be op- that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We can recognize here, not just here, but we can recognize that there is a difference between types of prayers. Uh, it's, 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 it's good, I think, useful to understand that there are such things as prayers of consecration and dedication, where it's just between me and God, me dedicating or rededicating my life and my purposes to him. Uh, there are prayers of uh, intercession, 
where we stand in the gap for somebody else who may not know how to pray or is unable to pray. Um, Prayers of thanksgiving, of course. And, of course, supplication or petition where we are simply asking God for things. Uh, And we see an awful lot of that. Prayers of petition, prayers of supplication. But the main point of this passage is just to be praying. I think it was a guy named Emmentire. I haven't been able to track down this quote. It was in my notes that I took at Ramah. Uh, Cooper Beatty shared this quote who said, the most important study on prayer is do it, do it, do it. Always be praying. And when it says pray at all times in the spirit, that is not saying only pray in tongues. Okay, it's the power of the Spirit and the authority of the Spirit, the guidance of the Spirit that leads us to pray certain ways, certain times, for certain things. And the perseverance. Don't give up. Again, keep on praying. And look at what Paul asked prayer for. Paul's in prison writing this letter, and he doesn't say, oh, and prayers for me that I would be released to get back out on the road and do what God called called me to do. No, just uh, give me utterance. Make sure I know the right thing to say at the right time. Give me boldness. But you're in prison, Paul. Why is he in prison? He's in prison as a direct result of doing God's will. Suffering is a lot easier to take when it's suffering for the right reasons. If you do something wrong and suffer, there's no glory in that. If you do something stupid and suffer, there's no glory in that. If you do something for God and suffer, there's glory in that. It can be a beautiful thing, and God can use that kind of suffering. Here's an example. I banged my leg up on Wednesday. Uh, Really bad. I mean, it's... uh, I know people have been through a lot worse. I thought I had broken my leg, but I had... uh, I'll try not to get too graphic. It was, it was a bloody mess. I've, I've never bled so much in my life. It was literally gushing out of two wounds in my shin. And I had never, I, it was a deep wound. Uh, I didn't realize it at the time how deep it was, but it was down to that, with a fascia, that tissue right above the bone. And uh, I don't like hospitals, so I didn't go to one. I went to, the, went to my bathtub, and I washed it out really well. And uh, got it really good and clean. And my, my, my only concern was there this dent in my shin. I thought, well, I hope I haven't chipped a bone or cracked it or something. So I wrapped it up really good after I got the, I didn't stop the bleeding, but I felt it was under control. Called my buddy, who's a doctor in Danville and drives through St. Joe every day. And I said, hey, if you got time, I'd appreciate if you'd stop by and look at my leg. And he called me back and said, take a picture of it and send it to me. So I did. And he called me back and said, I really need to sew that up. So he came over to the house and he couldn't sew it because it was it was kind of a hole. So he packed it full of that iodoform iodine-soaked gauze or whatever and wrapped me up. said, I'll come back Saturday and sew you up. I got to tell this. This really has nothing to do with the point I'm making, but I was really proud of my kids. He came over yesterday morning, and I thought he was just, I thought 20 minutes he's going to sew me up. He did surgery on my coffee table. He got scalpel out and had to cut away some tissue to get a straight edge there and everything. And, and I don't, I, the sight of blood doesn't bother me. I always think I have a fairly strong stomach, but when he started poking around inside that hole and, and shining the light under there and digging stuff out, I could not watch anymore. It was gagging me. But he had asked if Riley could scrub in, if he could assist him and hand him things so he wouldn't have to keep, you know, regloving and stuff. So Riley is unwrapping instruments and suture kits and everything. And I had asked Rainey also 
if she wanted to participate, and she, she said, no, I, couldn't, I didn't even like it when you were telling me about it. But she kept creeping closer and closer to the action. And then she takes my phone and starts filming it, or, or taping it. And I'm, I've literally got my cap over my face so that I can't see it. And the kids are fighting for access to this. And finally, uh, my uh, doctor friend says, Rainy, do you want to scrub in? And she goes, yeah. <laughs> Just kind of hungry look in her eyes, you know. <laughs> they are pressing both sides of this wound together so that he can sew this thing shut. That's how close they were to the action. They were great. This thing, what, hour and a half or so? Two hours maybe? They worked with him. So anyway, got it all sewed up. Two nasty holes in my leg. Just don't ask me how I did it. Had some people at camp, you know, I had this big bandage around my leg. When I went over to pick up the kids, what'd you do to your leg? Well, saw this old lady being harassed by a gang of bikers, so I threw myself in the mix, and they threw knives at my leg. Yeah, I think of something like that. When the fact is, I tripped over a boot scraper. Just two little pieces of fence post about a foot out of the ground with a piece of iron welded between them. I just didn't see it. I went to take a step, and so I tried to step over it when I realized it, and I tripped over with both feet. Just landed right on my face and just with all my weight on my leg. It's a stupid, and I'm, bad as it hurt, as I'm rolling off the ground, I'm looking around for cameras because I'm just sure this is going to show up on YouTube someday, you know, people, because yeah, I do it all the time. I probably have it coming. I click on people falling in public, things like that, because it, it looks funny when somebody else does it. But there's nothing glorious about that. It's all right to get wounded and hurt when you're doing something important. I was spraying for weeds in a parking lot. You ever hear the story, by the way, of the guy that, uh, speaking of biker gangs, guy's standing before St. Peter, and St. Peter, this is is not a doctrinally correct joke, all right? But St. Peter's like, hey, man, we'd like to let you in. Doesn't look like you're a very bad guy, but you really haven't done much good with your life either. Kind of like this, can you tell? Give me an example. I don't have anything in the books here. Give me an example of one really good thing you did in your life. I don't know if this is the kind of thing you're looking for, but I was walking down the street, and I hear this commotion in the alley, and I look down there, and there there are these uh, six or seven really tough-looking biker dudes harassing uh, this old lady. So I went over there, and I threw myself in between her and these bikers, and I said, you guys better beat it. Uh, If you're going to try to hassle her, you're going to have to get through me. And St. Peter said, that is exactly the kind of thing we're looking for, but I have no record of it. When did that happen? The guy said, about five minutes ago. (laughs) All right. Paul, and I don't know, we look at these things, and I understand. We, We look at Acts, and we see that Paul had access to books. He had access to visitors, but he didn't have his freedom. And it's something we take for granted, and we think, well, things, you know, it's easier to put up with stuff like that back in his days. No, it wasn't. He was a prisoner, but he never considered himself a prisoner of Rome. He saw himself as a prisoner of Jesus. I am where I'm at because I have obeyed the will of God. And if you are suffering because of your obedience to the will of God, there is strength to get you through that suffering. However, here's some good news as well. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Sometimes the righteous invite affliction into their life with their stupidity, with their bad decision. How many of you have ever done that? How many of you know you're righteous? Are you righteous? 
If you are in Christ, you are righteous. So how many of you are righteous? All right. How many of you have ever been afflicted and it really was your fault? Okay. Many of the afflictions are the righteous. Sometimes you're being imprisoned because of your obedience to Christ. Sometimes you are imprisoned or afflicted because you did something wrong. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He's a good God. He's a merciful God. He wraps this up here in uh, final verses in 21. But now, sorry, but that you may also know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. Tychicus is the one who delivered this letter to Ephesus. Whom I have sent to you for this very purpose that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. In other words, Tychicus is going to bring you this letter. He's going to tell you how I'm doing and you're going to be happy with what you hear. He's in prison. (laughs) Just a reminder. Peace to the brethren. Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. What a great letter. Congregation of Living Word, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. And I guess here's a question. There, there's, again, this is a rich book, and we could look at, we could do a series on the armor of God. It will do that, probably do something like that on a Wednesday, maybe. But when I look at the richness, again, of everything God has made available to you and to me, and the price He paid to put us in Christ, all the groundwork that is set, you know, He didn't start, He could have flipped these things around. Hey, believers, if you're a believer, you need to act like this. Be kind, be tenderhearted, forgiving, walk in love, prefer one another, submit to one another. And no filthy speech, no sexual immorality, no stealing, no lying, none of this stuff. And then followed it up with, and then we see that God has given you this because if he'd arranged it that way, it would be like, well, because I watched my speech, I watched my behavior, I was kind, forgiving, all this other stuff. Therefore, God blessed me by seating me in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. But that's not the way it works. God gives first. He seats us. He gives us all of this stuff, all this position, authority, love, right standing with God so that we have no excuse. So that when Paul says, here's the way you need to act, we can't say, but I can't. Oh, yeah, you can. Remember, you're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. There's nothing you lack. There's no ability. There's no power, no authority that you lack. You can do these things. You have to decide to. It's a call to maturity. It's a call to action. And I know most of you. And so I know most of you are saved. But let me ask you this. Are you all in? Are you ready to stand in the day of battle? Do you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you need to recommit? Or are you just ready? I want a church full of ready brothers and sisters. I want to be ready for you. I want you ready for me, not just for you. I don't want you just to be, well, I'm, I'm ready to stand so that I get everything God has for me. No, I want you to stand so that you become the member of the body that God wants you to be. Because that's good for me. And it's good for one another. And we're stronger together. 
Are you all in? If you need to make a decision to, maybe you're thinking, you know what? I know I'm saved. I don't doubt my salvation. I know God loves me. I know I'm going to heaven. But no, you're right. I need to be a full-on member of the body of Christ. You can, you can make that commitment today. You can make it from your seat. You can come to the altar. I can pray with you. Maybe you're out there and you're like, this is pretty exciting stuff. But when you talk about being a member of the body of Christ, I'm not sure what that means because when you talk about salvation, I'm not sure what that means. What does it mean to be a believer? It simply means this, that you acknowledge. Remember I talked about the sin nature earlier? It means that you acknowledge, yeah, I recognize that in me. I've got a proclivity towards sin. That's the sin nature. We were all born with it. Everybody was born with the sin nature. And it's what separates man from God. God loves us. He created us for fellowship with him. And he wants us back. But the only way out of that sin nature and into a right relationship with God is through the cross. We cannot talk about deciding to live a certain way. We can only do that through the power of God. And the power is only available to those who confess Jesus Christ as their Savior. Romans 10.9 says that if you will confess the Lord Jesus Christ, believe, uh, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from hell? saved from a lot more saved unto a lifetime of good works that God has prepared for you to walk in you want it and it can start today but it starts with a decision if you have never personally made that decision prayed that prayer then you are not saved yet if you'd like to make that decision today man I would like you to make that decision today angels in heaven would rejoice if you made that decision today and now's your moment i'm going to close this sermon with a prayer and when i'm done praying if you would like to give your heart to jesus invite him to be the lord of your life and become your savior as soon as they start singing just come up here a lot of churches i'm not saying it's the wrong way to do it but a lot of times every head bowed every eye closed and quietly slip your hand up if you'd like to become a christian you need to make a public profession of your faith. All right? So you might as well make it when you become a Christian. And don't be shy about it. Most people in this room are saved, and most people in this room who are saved did it just that way. They walked down here in front of God and everybody and gave their heart to Christ. And everybody in here, it's, it's, don't rob us of the experience of rejoicing with you as you make that decision. So if you want to give your heart to Christ Jesus today, if you want to give it back to Jesus today, if you just want to make a public profession of your giving your heart back to Christ today, or if you need to recommit to him, come, let me pray with you. If you want to get baptism with the Holy Spirit, that power, it's God's power. We've got to be strong in the power of his might. And Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.